0: Hello and welcome to this IBR Business Profile, a podcast from the Iowa Business Report. I'm Jeff Stein. In the 52nd edition of our program, which aired during Christmas weekend 2020, we introduced you to Dr. Jeff Kaplan, Chief Operating Officer and Founding Partner of Lyft Innovate, based in Waterloo. The company was founded in 2014 and recently placed number 681 on the Inc. 5000 list of America's fastest-growing private companies.
1: Lift Innovate came about with the realization that the world of business was changing, that businesses that we knew and that we grew up with and the rules associated them were changing with the uh, introduction of virtualization, virtualization that certainly has been sped up in the last year with the introduction of COVID.
0: And that's one of the key things, the phrase working from home. That's new to so many of us in 2020, but you were dialed in on this the better part of a decade before that.
1: Yes, it's probably um, easy to think that COVID brought this on, but in fact, COVID accelerated what was already happening. And so, virtually overnight, we had companies that were on a slow march to offering virtual, uh, having to do that overnight. And and part of the the transformation wasn't just technical; it was the realization that in order to work with somebody and in order to be a good supervisor, you didn't have to sit them in a chair and watch them work. Right. So it's a coming of age. For the employer and employee
0: relationship. Is it a matter really that as part of that we are really looking at results, we're looking at outcomes, we're looking at the desired end as opposed to being in the weeds of the actual process like you say someone walking down the hall and looking in to make sure somebody is working?
1: I wish it were that way, because that would show probably a greater, a more optimistic human nature. Mm. What we really saw was, you know, a sudden need that needed to be fulfilled. And then once that need was fulfilled and the sky didn't fall and the work was getting done and that we were learning how to work differently. And in many ways, you know, just like social media allows us to be in contact with more people, but it's not quite as deep. Uh, Well, our work life changed too, because instead of just seeing somebody at work, you were seeing them. In their basement or in the room that they've done. You saw their dog walk by and their kid come in during a presentation, and that changed as well. But then, somewhere along the line where they realized that this was not something they needed to fear, working from home could be embraced. And all of a sudden, you came along and realized that about 16% of the cash flow in American business today is focused on real estate. And if they could free that cash up, have less real estate, maybe not build that new building, but instead retain more staff, but have them do it virtually. All of a sudden, that changes the economics and uh, people become a lot more flexible when the economics point to uh, support that
0: flexibility. So that's the end result that I was talking about, the economics. That's the thing that, that does drive it. Interesting that you mentioned the human nature part of it. So what led you to be interested in this and I'm going to call it a field of study and then application.
1: Well, you know, it, it goes back to, to when I was a kid, you know, we, we had very modest meetings. And I used to say that our bank account was my, was my dad's left pocket, and our savings account was the change jar, right? Uh, and I knew that I wanted to do something, you know, and I wanted to do something in business, but I didn't know what that was. And so I saved up my money, and I got this thing called the Harvard Business Review. And I thought, oh, this is it. If I have this magazine inside the covers of this, it'll tell me everything I need to know what they're talking about in those rooms in the corner offices in business. And I realized as I, I grew older, it wasn't just a child's image of some of the things that block people from being successful, but it really is a whole concerted effort that keeps one group in one place and one group in another. There's a different vocabulary. There's a different way of looking at things. And there really isn't a dialogue between the folks in a cubicle and the folks that are making the biggest decisions in the organization. There is a big, big gap between the boardroom and the break room. And so I was studying this simply because I thought this freedom would allow us to create new ways of giving a voice to those uh, voiceless people that work in organizations.
0: I think many people have had the experience of being told they have to implement a certain protocol. Maybe it is a software program. Maybe it is a manner of evaluating others. It bears no relationship in the end user's eyes with what they do. But somebody, however many levels up, bought it and now we have to use it. And that's at a very rudimentary level, the disconnect between The people who actually do the work on a regular basis and those who are at a a much different level on the flow chart. And that can just really tear a business or an industry apart, can it not? That disconnect?
1: Well, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. And really what what we've come to in our research is the realization that our relationship with work is broken. Right. You know, I, I did a lot of work for a large telecommunications company based in London, and I would go to their corporate headquarters and I would talk to the executives there and I would understand the strategy and then I would go out on the field and nobody had heard of it. Right. I go to talk to the receptionist in Singapore and they had no idea it existed. So the biggest challenge for this generation is how do we go from vision, really quality, strategic vision to action? How do we connect the boardroom to the break room? Mm -hmm. That's the key for this next generation. And now I think we've got the catalyst
0: in remote working to sort of change all those rules up. Explain for me what social organic adoption is.
1: Social organic adoption is based on a book that came out right around the turn of the century called the Clue Train Manifesto. And in it, a group of uh, gentlemen who are forward thinkers, they actually lived in the same block with Jeff Moore, who did Crossing the Chasm, you might know. But these guys got together and they combined their knowledge and they predicted what the communities of the future would look like with the introduction of this virtual world called the internet. And one of the things that they predicted is the organizations that were going to be successful would be self-organizing, self-governing, self-perpetuating. I read that and I remembered how, how much it moved me and how much I tried to look at those and realize that these are the opportunities to sort of change the world going forward, if we could apply these rules. And one of the ones I found that was probably the most valuable over the years is the idea of self-selection, that instead of going out and evaluating somebody based on the school they went to or what their grade point average was, but have them self-select into programs, have them raise their hand and say, I want to try. And we started to do some analysis of that and the correlation between the type of school and its reputation or or your GPA, versus those that are self-selectors, there's no comparison. The self-selectors always seem to overperform. So how could we apply that to promotions and job opportunities, and who runs the next project, and who gets a voice at a meeting? Because that gives the power back to the employee and gives us better results, which is all organizational leaders ever wanted to begin with. So I think we're starting to crack that code as well.
0: But that's dangerous if you're a manager, isn't it? If you're an insecure manager, oh, no, my employees are actually doing things they're interested in and going further and, and not in a little box. That means you're hurting cats sometimes, aren't you?
1: Absolutely. (laughs) And if you are a manager that is challenged by that or thinks that that is uh, something that uh, runs a risk with your career, your time is probably very limited in corporate America. When you just think about the idea of a corporate hierarchy, right? Each layer, it is by nature, if you want to move up, the person you report to must either also move up move out, or move over, right? So that entire organizational design is meant to slow you down. We don't have that in our organization. We practice the principles we've talked about. That's why in a few short years, we've become one of the fastest growing companies in America. We've gotten an innovation award, and we were the only one that wasn't a billion dollar company that was in the competition. And we were Cisco's uh, innovator of the year in North America, third in the world. And it's because we unleash the power of the people that work right here. And we've taken those constraints off.
0: So talk about that part. Fastest growing company. You're on some pretty substantial lists in terms of people we've heard of lists that people aspire to be on. And you've done it in such a short period of time. Talk about that in particular. And is it just simply a matter of practicing what you preach and you can deliver that same kind of results for the companies you advise and you're the prototypical example to some degree?
1: Yeah, I think that we're sort of the voice of reason in a big transformational period, right? We grew up with an idea, and in business, there's a saying that says, you'll never get fired if you hire McKinsey. Why? Because they're the best of the business, you know, of consulting, and they're always going to give you uh, quality work. But the formula that goes above McKinsey, that includes McKinsey and Booz Allen and Accenture and Capgemini, where I grew up, all of them is, we're going to create the solution for you, but then it's up to you to execute. And so our approach has been, we are going to come to you with a solution. And the first time we meet you, we're already going to start solving this for you. So whether you work with us or not, we've already come with a solution. We've already figured out ways that we can start executing that right now. So I think the difference is that we've cut a lot of the processes and steps out of the process that slows everything down. People say they want results right now. And if you're not prepared to give them right now, then it's going to be much, much longer time before you ever get a chance to speak with them and get their attention again. But if you use that opportunity on day one and come to the table with value, well, then you can accelerate the process of winning business and and getting the attention that you need to get to grow quickly. You can do that, and you can do that purposefully.
0: And not to be flip about it, but we are so meetinged to death. We are so over having meetings or conversations Where you get done, you say, well, that's 50 minutes of my life. I'll never get back. And so what you're talking about is not just kind of dancing around the edges and we'll feel each other out and then we'll give you some information later. You're saying from day one, you're going to come prepared. You're going to help them if they're willing to take the help from day one. And that just sets the table not only for your relationship with them, but it suggests how they should be acting going forward.
1: Well, absolutely, and I don't think it's—I don't think I could approve on your articulation. I think it was great, but I can give an example why I think it is uh, to everybody's benefit, and it shouldn't be revolutionary. I work for a major consulting group. You know, I always joked around. We never met an RFP we didn't like, and an RFP is when a big company goes to a consulting organization and has a request for a proposal. And we would write the proposal out and say all the things we're going to do. We did an analysis, and we were averaging a hundred thousand dollars in cost for each RFP response. Now, granted, they're huge companies and huge projects, and it did take a lot of resources, but I came to them with a different idea. I said, instead of responding to an RFP with a stack of paper, why don't we just start the work and then show up with $100,000 worth of outcome. And if they don't use us, we've given them a $100,000 gift. And if they do use us, well, we can just go to step two because they already see it in action. And we're doing a lot of that today. Some of the things we've done is if we've got remote workforce, then why don't we start having remote proposals? Why don't we have RFP responses that are video based so that the story comes out and people aren't having to read a stack of papers. So we're trying to experiment with all the things that make business more human, that makes organizations flatter and helps us get to good quicker.
0: What's the most gratifying thing about the work you're doing right now?
1: The most gratifying thing that we're doing right now, I think the best way to tell you that is to share a story with you about a person right here locally. I had called to congratulate him on having received his master's degree. He just earned it. And uh, he answered the phone and he said, ouch, ouch. I said, what happened? He goes, when the phone rang, I had to spin in my cubicle and my cubicle is right next to this pillar that holds this building up. So every time I turn fast, I, I bang my knee and I said, well, I'm just called to congratulate you, you know, about your, your master's degree. And he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm just really not that excited. It really is going to be the net of it. It's going to be that I'm going to earn X amount more in each paycheck, but I still don't have a voice. And in this building, if I say something, I'm going to be out the door. And, and I'm afraid of that because, For every one of me in here, there's five people outside wrapped around the corner, ready to take my place. And when you think about it, 2,080 hours a year, 40 years of your life, we're going to dedicate to this thing called work. There's got to be a better way. So we did an engagement using these tools with a local hospital. And we had a nurse that sent back uh, something we'd sent to her. She goes, this must not be for me because I'm not a leader. And we went actually out to her and we said, no, everybody in this organization, we're helping this organization, this hospital, everybody in this organization is a leader and we want your voice. And in the 13 years she'd worked there, Nobody had ever asked her to participate. By the time we were done, she was a supervisor, an active supervisor, and a leader in that hospital organization. That means better health care. That means a better career for her. That means better output for the hospital. Everybody wins when we act more human and acknowledge our gifts and contributions.
0: Dr. Jeff Kaplan, co-founder of Lyft Innovate, which he runs from his home base in Waterloo. We spoke via Zoom on Friday, December 18th. You can see the complete results of the Inc. 5000 compilation by going to inc.com slash Inc. 5000 and you can learn more about this Iowa-based company whose 40 employees work all across the U.S. and Canada by going online to liftinnovate.com. The Iowa Association of Business and Industry is a supporter of the Iowa Business Report radio program and podcast. The Iowa Business Report airs weekly on dozens of radio stations across the state of Iowa with the podcast posted right here every week along with additional IBR extras and IBR business profiles. I'm Jeff Stein for the Iowa Business Report.